0: Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play team. This actual play uses the RuneQuest rules by Chaosium Incorporated. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. Strong language, mature scenes, and rune magics are on the way. As this is our Glorantha, we will remind listeners that it may vary from the one you already know and love. And now, on to the show. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast, a special episode where we are going to sit down and do a little RuneQuest character creation with our friend Stefan. Uh, more on that later. Uh, for now, I'm going to get you uh, introduced to the people who will be at our table. I am normally your, your keeper or handler or even storyteller, Michael, um, but we also have some other folks with us. So to my right.
1: Hi, this is Heather. And while well, you might know me from other ones... Uh, I am here to learn about Glorantha. Yep.
2: This is Jake, and uh, I'm very excited to, to learn about Glorantha. Uh, I don't know anything about it, so <laughs> it'll be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And last but of course, most certainly not least, the
0: uh, man of the hour leading us through this, and that would be Stefan. So give us an introduction, if you would. Hi,
3: I'm Stefan. And I guess tonight I get to be Glorantha. So, oh, pretty much. I hope you will enjoy the trip
0: okay so um if you can give us a let's say a maybe a, a broad brushstrokes of the world of grantha we don't have to dive of course too deep but just give us a summation of it so that way the folks who've never played RuneQuest or never read about grantha have sort of an idea about where we are and some analogs
3: certainly so, Glorantha is a fantasy setting created by the late Greg Stafford. At this point, some just oh, just around fifty years ago. Initially, um, it is a fully spiritual and magical setting, in that everything in the setting has a mythological base. So, um, for instance, um, as opposed to a physical base that most settings that we're used to working in has. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, if you were to get sick, that's not because you have contracted some biological ailment or there is some imbalance within you. No, it's because there is a specific illness spirit that has possessed you. Mm. So the treatment for being sick is that you go to a suitably puissant shaman to drive the sickness out of you rather than going to somebody competent in medicine to put you back together. Sure. And that pervades the entire world. We're going to concentrate on a particularly mythically important area of one of the two continents that make up Glorampha. Uh, There's the continent of Genetelae, which has a problem in that the god Gnert that represents that continent is in fact dead. So that's a problem. There's another continent on to the south called Pabeltella that has a thriving living god that is a far more vibrant landscape than the area we are in. We're going to concentrate the action to uh, an area in central Taylor, commonly known as Dragon Pass. It is a gap between two fairly major mountain ranges that run down the continent pretty much north to south.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: The gap is there, and it's about 40, 50 kilometers wide because there is a valley left behind when one of the great dragons decided to fly off and go elsewhere. Dragons in Glorantha are basically mountain range-sized.
0: Wow. Well. Okay. Good to
3: know. And are part of the uh, originally original mythical beings. I think the best thing to do is to give a quick historical summary of what has happened up until the point that we put the camera onto the characters. Certainly. At the start, when everything was created, there was no time. It was a, an era of peace and glory known as the, the, the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. Everything was glorious underneath. Uh, the rule of the emperor Yelm, the Sun King, uh, who had a uh, an ecclesiastical court divided up into seven regimented layers. Then there were the the people who walked around on the grubby earth that nobody really cared about because all the important business was being occurring in the bureaucracy of the seven layers of imperial heaven. One might imagine something akin to maybe Shinto China as an analogue. It, it, it's sort of that structure. Then one day there appeared on the scene a set of deities known as the Storm Deities. Now, the sun was married to the Earth. So Yelm is married to Analda, in using the names of the gods. And there comes a time when Umaf, the primal storm, comes around and realizes that he's a god, but he doesn't have anywhere to be a god of. So he walks up and tears apart Yelm and Analda, creating the sky, or the middle air, that he then occupies and plays with all the winds. And he creates his own family of gods within that space one of which uh, that we're going to probably hear quite a lot of because he's the major deity of the land of Sartar, which is the locale within Dragon Pass that we're looking at. Known as Orlanth, takes the title of the Lord of Middle, the Middle Air, And he's a fairly impetuous fellow at the best of times, to say the least. And he doesn't take well to being told what to do in regimented life. So he's a little bit upset with the regiment and the regime of the Emperor Yelm and so forth. Meanwhile, in the background, there's this little fellow called Ermal the Trickster who has managed to get his hands on a new toy, the sword known as Death, and has given it to Orlanth as a um, keep it safe, dear brother. Um, I can't see <laughs> any
0: problems here.
3: <laughs> yeah. In as part, before he does this, he has gone away and killed the being known as Grandfather Mortal, which is why all the mortal races die, because their progenitor mythically was killed by death hence it is the doom of every mortal to eventually die things go downhill orlam decides that he has this thing for Enalda, but Enalda is married to yelm even though they've been ripped apart he doesn't let that stop him he goes out woos her with the great and mighty deeds and there's a big hold arc arc of that net effect is there gets to be a contest in the throne room of the Emperor between Yelm and Orlanth. And it's a traditional best out of three. It's poetry, it's archery, I forget offhand what the third one is, but basically Yelm completely wipes the floor with Orlanth, who being embarrassed in front of everybody, including Arnalda gets a little bit hot-headed, pulls out the sword death, and sticks Yelm through the throat, thereby killing the Sun Emperor. Cosmologically speaking, I think this falls under the maybe not a good idea situation. (laughs) So what now happens is Glorampha itself is now plunged into darkness because Yelm now has to go down into the under- underground and be dead. So he, he goes down into the hells and leaves Glorantha dark, cold and barren. Orlanth goes off and marries Arnalda, and It doesn't take long before the cracks in the universe start to appear. Because the, the order of things has just completely disappeared. And this force called Chaos starts to seep into the universe from outside. Chaos is the peter natural, uh, raw, anti-matter firmament of everything. It's just pure, utter destruction incarnate. And as cracks start to appear in Glorantha chaos starts to seep in and for the people on the ground, this is an absolute catastrophe obviously. Civilizations start to break apart. Meanwhile, down in the underground there has lived since the start this race of ancient being known as the trolls, the Uzz. They are tied to the darkness room. They now have a problem because they now have this glaring sun hmm. down with them that is exceedingly inimical to them. So they're driven up onto the surface where they're now forced to coexist with the plant spirits or the Aldriami, as well as the rock people, the Mostali or the dwarves, and all of humanity and the other races, including the dragons. Needless to say, this just gives rise to a, a great amount of two races, one piece of land problems, of which we're fairly familiar in modern times. So that that's going on. The gods are, meanwhile, in an uproar, having infights of their own, trying to take their own sides. And it just so happens that... The entirety of Glorantha at this point is held together by a big spike of true stability, absolute law, something known as true stone. And things get so bad that at one point this thing just explodes. So it just so happens that the spike transfixes Glorantha through the middle which is where the major ocean is. So where the major ocean between the two continents is is now fundamentally a big black hole. This of course causes a lot of water to start falling into said black hole. This is a problem because now all the oceans of Glorantha are going to be drained unless something happens and fortunately something does happen in that all the river spirits jump on board and start flowing into this big hole that's known as Megastar's Pool, uh, or the space where Megaster, the ocean god used to be. And that is why all rivers, with only a couple of known exceptions, flow into the sea, because they're constantly trying to refill the never-ending drain. But the point up until then is known as the lesser darkness, We now enter the major darkness. Everything is bad on a cosmic scale. And things just go from bad to worse to horrible. And even Orlanth realizes that he actually went a little bit too far in killing Yelm, the Sun God. So, he goes out and takes a group of fellow compatriots and forms a group of seven and sets off on a quest to put Yelm back into the heavens. It is a mighty undertaking that takes... Time doesn't exist at this point, but there are several stops along the way. Each of the seven have their chance to shine during those stops because without any one of them, they would have been lost forever. They manage, in the end, to bring back Yelm to an event that's called the Dawn. As they bring Yelm back and put him back in the Sky Chariot, there appears across Glorantha this spider web that starts to pull all the fractious parts of Glorantha back together in a sort of duct tape manner, but at least it's something that is also the birth of the concept of time basically the gods are realized as a group that if glorantha is to survive they cannot directly walk glorantha they have to act through their god talkers and their priests and their worshipers they have to separate from mortal beings And in order to do that, they come up with this great compromise known as time. And that is the start of history, as it were. Now, even though time starts, the events before time have, of course, still occurred. This is a mythical world, so they still have an influence on the world. So because Yelm was dead, now that time is a thing, he has to spend half his time in the underworld, and he can spend half his time in the
0: sky. So one could argue that Orlanth gave us night and day.
3: Yes. The cycle of creation to almost destruction but saved at just the last moment continues So that the calendar in Glorantha has five seasons, starting with sea season, uh, which is the everything is great, everything is green, everything is wonderful, the birds are singing, la-di-da. That gives way to fire season, where Yelp gets to be his total thing and burn everything to a crisp, practically, at least in Gunnert Taylor, because unfortunately, during the greater darkness, Gunnert was Killed by chaos. R- the rumor is that a group of chaotically tainted stone men, a slash dwarf slash Mastali, brought chaos infected armor into his court and basically blew it up. So we have sea season, we have fire season, we then have earth season, which is sort of akin to autumn in our terms mm-hmm. but it's, it's also the sort of the big growth season and ends up with a harvest and so forth at the end of earth season all the earth goddesses die because they were pretty much eradicated during the greater darkness which of course then leads into dark season which is basically winter on a thimble winter scale wintering glorantha is and especially in the area of Dragon Pass with the big mountains, what happens is that there is a cold wind to the north known as Valind that is fighting against Orlanth and his family, who normally live just to the south of the pass. And as those two gain the upper hand or not depends on is it more winter like or is it more summer like? Mm-hmm. Dark season, there is practically no warland. Valind has Reign of the Place. The trolls love it. And then there is, following that, is storm season, which doesn't really have a colliery in our sense, but it's when the, the, the storms, the, the middle air gets its chance to do its thing. Uh, now, as one can imagine, in a tempestuous place such as Dragon Pass storm season is a um, it's an interesting time to be out on the road <laughs> and then comes a couple of weeks known as sacred time which is the reset the dawn the start of history it's when all the rites are done throughout glorantha to reset the clock and if all goes well you start again next year in a better and happier place if things don't go well, the, you're on a slippery slope. So, there is an event during sacred time in the culture of Satar in Dragon Pass, uh, which is known as the I Fought, We Won War. Basically, just before the dawn, chaos is everywhere, everybody can even vaguely wield a weapon is fighting for their life and it's the combination of everybody fighting for one cause that provides the mythic power that allows Orlanth to force into being the compromise amongst the gods and create time and that's celebrated during sacred time by recreating I fought we won. So there is one particular day during this two-week period where mythically, everybody who is a worshipper of any standing ends up fighting some form of chaos. And if the majority succeed, it's all good. If the majority fail, well, that hasn't happened yet, but it's not
0: believed to be good. I can't imagine so. So we're going to start our journey in Sartar? Indeed.
3: Indeed. Uh, in the the, the land of Sartar in the region of Dragon Pass. Most specifically so, we're going to start some time back from the, the current crop of characters in that we're going to start in the time of your grandparents because we want to find out what has made an impact on your character causing them to be what. They are. For those that have the book this is page 28 of the main rule book, and basically the first thing we need to do is to pick which one of the eight of your grandparents if my math is correct is your most significant grandparent. Okay. And that's a free choice. And if you're looking on the Roll20 character sheet, on the, the the Folio character sheet, there is a family history section.
0: Yep. I see that tab at the top near the center.
3: So yes, the first thing to do is to work out, you know, are you matrilinear, are you patrilinear, are you some mix? What type of family are you? And culturally, you could be any.
0: We had kind of talked about before, getting into the session tonight, that we were going to sort of come from the same tribe.
3: Indeed. The characters are all based out of a village called Londros, which is on a river plain and at the time of the grandparents is part of the Kolymar tribe, whose capital is about a day's march to the north, and that's called Clearwai. So named for the particular vines that make that particular uh, area very famous, and it's it's the um, it's a great Earth cult center. So it, it it has a one of the major Earth temples in the the whole kingdom of Sata.
0: Okay, so um, we just pick their occupation then. Indeed,
3: so yes, pick 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 a a grandparent and pick an occupation you can choose freely
0: or just roll I, we got to roll dice we're right, right. we, we, we got to roll dice right <laughs> so what i, what I want to do is i'm going to roll i'm going to announce the occupation of my grandparent and we're going to go to heather and then to jake next so that everybody gets a little bit of a change up here so okay here's the roll uh so my grandparent uh was my we'll say grandfather was a priest
1: okay Ooh. And I am going to be going for my grandmother and the dice says a fisher.
0: Hmm.
2: Jake. All right. Uh, my paternal grandfather. What is that? Uh, a bandit.
0: Oh boy. Ooh. We have a nice, uh, a, a nice, uh, cross section of uh, culture here. And so it looks like from what I see here in the RuneQuest book, that we're gonna do the same thing for our parent as the most dominant parent, is that true?
3: Yes, although I'm going to hold off on that just a little bit because we might find that there are some events that will occur before we get there. Got it. The current date is the start of the year 1625 solar time, or since time began. Solar time is what's used all throughout Glorantha. Apart from the land of Darahapa, which is the remains of the ancient solar kingdom or solar hierarchy up to the, the far north, they somehow count something like 17,000 years at the moment. Hmm. Somehow they've managed to do that trick of tracking time back before time existed.
0: That's a trick. For sure
3: oh absolutely so in 1561 your grandparent was born in 1582 so when they were 21 there's two events that occur one is that your parent or your parents were born and the other is that the king of Sartar at the time and his wife the who at that time was the feathered horse queen who comes from an area just to the west of one of the, those major mountain ranges, who went to war with the newly formed, uh, at that point, Lunar Empire. Glorantha has this thing where not only does everything get reformed on a yearly basis,
0: mm-hmm.
3: there's also a longer scale arc, which are called ages. Each age ends in some utterly cataclysmic event. The first age ended in uh, about the year six... And each is approximately five to six hundred years long. So now that we're in the third age, there is this new goddess that has appeared in the middle air and is claiming the rights to the middle air and she is has her power center up in the north and by 1582 she was starting to press southwards as it were to um, well obtain a warm water port shall we say so there is this big battle in which both the king and queen of dragon pass are killed What we need to find out is, were your grandparents of note present at that battle?
0: Okay. I see the table on page 30. Indeed. And in this case, particularly with
3: Jake's grandparent being interesting. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) a very interesting is doing a lot of work (laughs) in that sense. Right. Carry a heavy load.
1: (laughs) Hey, someone has to be the bad boy. Right. He may not
3: be from Sata. No, it's okay. If we if we take the assumption that he is, then everybody just has plus five to a d20 roll. So d20 plus
0: five. I think we should take the plus five. We'll yeah. just assume yeah. that banditry did happen and then mm-hmm. somehow you got away with it.
1: Had to be different, didn't you? All
0: right, so I'll roll. And that is it's plus five. So my grandfather was present at the Battle of Grizzly Peak. <laughs>
1: All right, so let's see. Adding a plus five. Ooh, mine was not. That mm. was a seven.
2: Plus five, that's 17. So my grandfather was also present. Yep. Yeah. Conscripted, I bet. Mm, probably. <laughs> Conscripted is another word for arrested <laughs> and pressed in a service. Correct. You're a warm body. Here, hold this sword. Well, I think this
3: is why... Our priest gets a plus five on the next roll of what actually happened at the Battle of Grizzly Peak.
0: Oh boy. Okay, so uh, this looks possibly very climactic here. Uh, so that is a twenty-one. So. Oh, uh, you got twenty-one. Yes. Grandparent Ah, yes. Your grandpa and your your priest's
3: grandfather died with great glory defending the king and queen. This means that you have the honor passion and your choice of loyalty either to Sartar or the Feathered Horse Queen, depending on which one of the two I would suggest
0: Sartar. Yeah, I think that's what that's, that's probably my first impression when we go with Sartar, um, the go with Sartar, the loyalty. Because you have a famous ancestor, you get a five percent
3: bonus to your orate skill. Mm-hmm and uh, also a d3 reputation okay d3 that's a three. Oh, yes you're actually some people actually know you depending on which pub
0: you go into oh, that, that's nice so if they're not present as far as as far as uh heather's character heather's ancestor goes do we need to make any roll here uh no okay and then jake's
2: grandparent was there so right, if you I, want to roll yep Oh, 17, which means I was also <laughs> killed. Uh.
3: Yes, you, you basically managed to uh, engender the requisite parent and then go off and get killed defending <laughs> um, your, your, your mighty
2: sire, as so, it were. Uh, we, we, we Our grandparents died side by side.
0: Likely, yes. Uh, yes. No matter the um, title or the uh, duty, we fell uh, under the sword of death, just like every other mortal. Yes, uh, I got two reputation. Oh, there you go. Ooh. Okay, so where do we go from here? Uh, so having
3: killed off the grandparents.
2: Except for Heather.
3: Oh, speak for yourself. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, al- almost. So um, so we now switch to the parents mm-hmm. and the grand grandparents and parents for Heather. So he- Heather gets two sets of this. Fantastic. We jump forward to the year
1: 1597. Yay. Okay. When the
3: next major event occurs, which is that lunar assassins uh, have managed to infiltrate the Sata royal house whilst they're in the Holy Country. Now, the Holy Country is uh, down on the coast to the southwest. It is a highly civilized, well, comparatively highly civilized in Bronze Age terms, but we're talking um, we're talking Alexandrian Egypt versus rural Germania I guess, which led to a whole cycle of murder and vengeance and revenge and so forth, starting off with Mike's parents, I guess, or parent I
0: guess. Okay. So we'll find out what happened to them, if anything right? Indeed. Indeed. Um, so I guess my question to you is, uh, does the noble bonus still apply here?
3: They, you get, the parent doesn't necessarily have to pick the grandparents' profession. They can do.
0: I think they probably would just mm-hmm. to honor them. Uh, so that's a 16. So they fought in the holy country and survived.
1: Indeed. Okay. So let's go 17. So, looks like my grandmother fought in the holy country and survived. She was running away from a
3: couple of murderous lunar assassins, I think, across the border and managed to hide out, but got away. Hey,
1: she survived, in considering the time period and the standing of the country, and survival's not a bad thing.
3: Indeed. So, we now move forward... To where we do get some duality, I think. Uh, first of all, we've got to do one more role for uh, Grandparent in 1602. Okay. Which is when the Lunar Empire launched their great invasion of Sata as a whole. At incredible incredibly high cost. Uh, they, I mean, they, they basically pushed their whole empire into financial ruin uh, in doing this, but they are event- they are eventually successful. We'll come to that. They managed to take capital city of Baldholm and uh, one of the things in Baldholm is a living flame, which is called the flame of Sata, that was put there by the hero Sata when he founded the country and they manage to magically extinguish it. The mythic effect of this is, of course, that they break the country of Sata. It's not a good time. Let's see how your grandmother is doing and if she was part of events. So it's a plus 10 to
1: this roll. OK. So to make this interesting? Well, let's see. Uh, That's an 18 on the die, so we're adding a plus 10.
3: Okay, they're very very definitely part of the overall final defense of Bald Home. Uh, So roll again with a plus (laughs) 5.
1: That's a nat 20.
3: (laughs) A nat 20. Oh, well, (laughs) this is a good result from the per- from the perspective of your character. Because this means that uh, everybody now has grandparents who have gone out in a oh, yes. place, absolute place of drawing. Um, but your grandmother dies gloriously uh, on the walls of Bald Home as it's being overrun by the inva- Lunar Invaders. I should mention that part of the reason why the Lunars are so successful in their campaign against Sartar is that they bring a lot of magic. Uh, They have whole regiments of magicians and the Sartarites just aren't anywhere near organized enough to stand up against that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that is in the Lunar Arsenal at this time is a being called the Crimson Bat. This is a large demon, and by large, we're talking village-sized. Oh. That is basically a, a chaos bat, dozens of eyes, large leathery wings, that basically does nothing but feed on souls. The Lunas have a cult surrounding it. And the reason you become a member of the cult is that the Bat will devour members of the cult only if there are not any non-members around to devour. Anybody devoured by the Crimson Bat is gone, revoked, K-I-L-L-E-D, never existed, etc., etc., etc. Fortunately, that's not your grandmother's fate. (laughs) (laughs) Your grandmother is killed ordinarily, but bravely being part of the final stand of people at the main gate, leading into Bald Home before it is completely overrun. You also gain honor. You get devotion to a deity of your choice. You get hate of the Lunar Empire as a passion. And you also get a D3 reputation. That's two. Not to be sneezed at. As a sort of general idea, if you're within your own uh, clan, then you're generally at five times your reputation score to be immediately, more or less immediately recognized. If you're inside your tribe, that's three times. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we move on to the parents. And the, uh, the events during the invasion year. So 1603, 1604. The Lunas are in charge. They're keeping the various Sartar tribes, of which there are approximately a dozen, basically occupied in fighting each other rather than fighting them, the, the occupiers. We go back and we get a chance for people's parents to have a role on the table all at plus five alrighty
0: get us started even been birth to the characters roll <laughs> once for the entire period it says yep that is a one that's <laughs> a normal year so
3: a a6 so it's perfectly normal all oh, right because there's the modifier but it's still a normal year Nothing of just usual cattle raids and incursions of chaos, and
1: that is a five. So yes, and yet another normal year.
2: No, yeah, had five.
1: Oh well, five <laughs> plus five, so ten. Dang it! I was, ah. I tried.
3: <laughs> having having given birth to our proto hero. To your mother sadly is. Let's have a see what happens. Let's see what page 35 has to say. If you were to roll just a straight d20. And. <laughs> that
1: is a nat 20. Ooh!
3: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> that is killed in a magical ceremony.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, goodness. What I suspect happened. To your mother, having just given birth, is uh, in during sacred time at the end of 1604. The tribe holds a ceremony to basically cause the river river uh, river plains to flood. Come the start of sea season. It's calling to the river spirits to bring the waters to the land, to refurbish it and to refurnish it. Unfortunately, this year they're a, either they've failed to properly propitiate the Nymi river spirits, or they did things a little bit too well. Uh, In any case, your mother ends up being drowned in the event. Whether you wish to make use of that in sort of furtherance of the character or not, I leave entirely in your hands.
0: All right, so that sounds like Jake then.
2: Okay, see what we get here. That is an eight plus five, so 13, and that means I survived despite widespread conflicts and feuds.
3: Uh, also known as a, a normal Wednesday in yeah. <laughs> Um the, the, the tribes and clans of Saka are very prone to get into feuds and arguments with each other. What happened after the dragon kill is that um, after some time, the people that would become the Sarkarites started to repopulate from the south and the Kolymar were one of the first tribes to resettle the area. They were one of the first five. And of course they come in, there's plenty of land, everybody goes off, chooses somewhere nice and starts setting up and starts growing more and more successful. But then newcomers come in wanting their portion of land Borders start to meet, as things grow, tensions form. It's actually quite a common theme that a group of karls from one clan will, especially if they happen to be a border clan, will go across to the pastures of the clan next door and liberate a few sheep or cattle and then take them back and rebrand them, uh, gain a bit of wealth that way. Um, as long as it's kept on within sensible bounds it's accepted and everybody just gets on with life but every now and then things happen and you have 40 spearmen marching up a hill to meet another 40 spearmen (laughs) because their grandmother said something about your Aunt Vera Uncle Mike's funeral been there
2: yeah I've also decided that uh He's going to take some of his uh, grandfather's bushcraft and become a hunter instead. A more noble profession. Mm. Very
0: nice. Okay, so where does that bring us to? So
3: that brings us down to the events of your lifetime. So we we, we, we now shift the focus to your actual character.
2: 1605
3: mm-hmm. uh, is... You're a few years old. The Lunars make a major thrust to invade the Holy Country, striking at the eastern portion of it. But their magical god-king hands them their walking papers on a platter. He builds a magical wall enclosing basically the access point into Esrolia from Sartar. The the Lunars bounce against and also there is a large troll settlement right on the coast down on the south that Belintar forms an alliance with uh, basically trapping the Lunars in a pincer. 1605 is not a good year for the Lunars. Let's have a look at, this is now still your parents we're looking at. Okay. For those who have parents that are
0: alive. Yeah. So far, so far, alive. Uh, so let's see here. Um, I see that there's a minus five to this roll because I'm a Sardarite, or my father is. Indeed. All right. Uh, Indeed. That appears to be a feint to the Sea with that modifier, so my sixteen becomes eleven. I, he fought in the Faint to the Sea campaign.
3: Indeed. So you 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 you're, you you were actually part of the uh, the pincer portion to the sea. So.
0: Okay, and that subsequent table on the bottom, we'd roll on?
3: Yes. Right.
0: Does the minus five still apply, or is it a straight roll?
3: This point, it is a... Uh, your minus five still applies.
0: Okay, so uh, he survives, that's... Okay. One to 17 is a survival,
2: so that's pretty good for him. Yep. So, Jake, what, uh, what happens to your character's father? Uh, it is a normal year for me, for my father.
0: Well, that's nice. Yeah. Okay.
3: You actually get to just go raiding for cattle and so forth as opposed to...
0: <laughs> would not that nice? It is
3: nice. Yes.
0: Okay. So I suppose that brings us back around again.
3: Yep. And we come up to 1608. At this point, having bounced against Esrolia and the Holy Country, the Lunar Empire decides to um, head. Sartar is centered on a big mountain massif known as the Quivens, and basically the fertile land around it. Initially the Lunars went down the west side heading down towards the holy country and Isrolia. They bounced. So they now go down to the east. The east is a far less hospitable place they come into an area known as Prax, which is basically a rocky desert uh, on the far side of which there is one big river with a fertile river delta. So one can imagine sort of Egypt. They go for that, thinking, okay, if we couldn't go to the west, we'll try to push through to get to the sea on the east. They were, but they, they were basically harried all the way and the, the local peoples, the nomads who go from oasis to oasis within that uh, desert landscape were able to basically push away the the regular military invasion that tried to use regular tactics in a desert. For those whose parents are around, it's a regular D20 for Sartorites.
0: All right. Let's see what we get. That is a 16, which means uh, my father fought in the first invasion of Prax. Ooh, indeed. So you get to roll again on the next table. <laughs> yes. I get a, I get to see what happened to him. And so that is him having witnessed the lunar submission to the pap priestesses.
3: Oh okay so basically in the middle of this desert area is a green area known as the paps it is the underground home of the earth deity of the region who is known as erythra and that area is known as the paps so it's it's the 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 lunars end up basically surrendering to the priestesses of the Earth of Prax. Which means that uh, you get the chance, you you, you, you get uh, the free devotion to deity of your choice, which we'll come to.
0: Sure. Okay. So then I suppose we figure out what happened to Jake's father.
2: Indeed. Okay. Ooh, that is a uh, 19. So... I also, <laughs> nice. my father also fought the first invasion of Prax. Uh, one, survived numerous ambushes, gained hate Praxians.
3: Indeed. So the Praxians are the, the locals of the area, which, yeah, they're underhanded, they're sneaky, they have no honor.
0: At least that's what you think. Right.
3: Indeed. So we'll we'll jump through here and continue through the invasion, so into 1610. we're we're getting there so at this point the Lunar Army now under new uh, management there's a new general because the the last one kept bouncing but this time properly prepared Mark Reed goes back into Prax and blows away the the nomads and captures the, the one great city on the river uh, known as JV, uh, Pavis. At the same time, in the kingdom to the north of Sartar, known as Tarsh, one of the lunar superheroes, or heroines, I should say, Jari'el the Raceress, liberates the pro-lunar king and ends him, <laughs> and transcends his, let, lets him transcend his mortal coil and sends him to glory. Although she then gives birth to his son who's called Ferandros, to continue on the line of the Kingdom of Tarsh, but of course now firmly in the the Lunar Pantheon.
0: Sure. Well, it looks like in the, in these events, uh, those of us who are Sardarites are going to take a bit of a penalty.
3: Yeah. In, indeed, you're at minus five. So basically, chances are you're not involved, but...
0: Yeah, that's okay. We'll see what happens. So that is a, that is a modified 12. So my father fought in the second invasion of Prax.
3: Ooh, wow. Okay, <laughs> go, go go for it.
0: All right, so is it simply just the um, the King Liberation Table or is it a, the second invasion? Table?
3: It is the second invasion table. All right, let's see. Uh,
0: so that's a four. So he survives the second invasion of Prax. Yeah, yeah that, that's just a, meanwhile, Meanwhile, uh, I had another normal year. Has a normal
3: year. Yep. Perfect. Which means we get to jump forward a few years to sixteen thirteen, which is f- for the your tribe or your clan in particular a very very big year, because outraged by the Luna's presence and spurred but on by the social unrest the satirites rebel in strength and temporarily expel the lunar army out of Hope. in fact out of the mountains in the center of the Quibbons mm-hmm. but the lunars regroup and the prior war grizzled general comes back and takes command uh, good old Wide Red and deals the rebels a sound thrashing with his magic, particularly with his magical units. As a result, Fass Wide Red is now uh, made Governor General of Dragon Pass. So we'll go for the events and then we'll come to the specific clan event.
0: Okay, So, so I get plus five to this roll, that's a 22. So my father fights in Starbrow's Rebellion. Indeed, which makes perfect
3: sense. He's basically fought in every other battle, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so why wouldn't he be there? Indeed, and and, and, and just to be clear, uh, Kalias Starbrow mm-hmm. came out of the Kalimar, so at the time this happens, the leader of the rebellion is from your tribe.
0: Nice. Okay, so I should find out what happens to him in the rebellion.
3: Right. Indeed.
0: All right. At plus, at, at plus five. That's a 13, so five. It's 18, so he aids Starbrows' escape. And yep. it looks like uh, gains loyalty and reputation.
3: Loyalty to Sata. And more reputation. <laughs>
0: yeah. The D3 percentage. That's a two. So
2: that's five total so far in this character.
0: Mm-hmm. Not bad. All right, Jake.
2: All right. Let's see what uh, my father was doing. That is a 13, so he also fought in Star Bros. Rebellion. And... He was killed by Lunar Magic. Now I hate Lunar... uh, Lunar Empire.
3: Yep. The Lunar Magic in question is... They have a spell called Moonburn. Which is basically calling down actual pieces of rock from the moon goddess where she sits in the middle air uh, up in the sky and they're basically meteorite strikes. Oh wow sounds like an epic death for (laughs) your father, (laughs)
0: right?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah (laughs) the good news is that his spirit wasn't destroyed by it so he's still able to be worshipped in the uh yearly ancestral rites and so forth, mm-hmm. but there wasn't really anything other than a smear left to bury.
0: <laughs> well, it's a cheap well, funeral service, right? Right, yeah. Okay, so, so if that, my memory here is right, that means that I have the only parent left. Yes. Indeed. Hmm. We'll see how long he, he lasts.
1: <laughs> oh, and welcome to the Lunar Hatred. Uh, here's your membership card.
0: <laughs>
3: we jump all the way forwards to 1619 awesome at this point the lumer army have come down not only the eastern side and the praxian river valley down from pavis they've also now started to move down the central mountain range and there is one final holdout of Sartar and the, in the sort of the the southernmost citadel of Sartar, known as Whitewall, where King Brian is holding out. King Brian is a direct descendant from Orlanth, which may turn out to be important in a few years' time. But for now, let's see what happens here in 1619.
0: All right, so it does appear that uh, Sartarites get five to this roll. Yep. I-, I, have a- I have a sneaky suspicion that the um, father who can't miss a meal or a fight is probably going to show up here in the battle. And I'm not wrong, it's an 18. So <laughs> it, it's he fights in the um King campaign. <laughs> All right, so let's see what happens. That is a seven, so he survives that.
3: Indeed, which is somewhat amazing because part of what Faso Wide Red brings into this campaign is yet again the Crimson Bat. Yikes. So we jump forward to 1620. The rest of Sartar and the land south are, at this point, completely occupied. But Whitewall still stands against everything, including the Crimson Bat so far. So at this point, you're on a straight
0: roll, it appears. Let's see what happens here. So that is a normal year. What? Yeah, I know. He guy has got he's got to get a break at some point, right? Like he's got to calm down. Absolutely. <laughs> he's a little tired. But yes, we spring back up to 1621.
3: Okay. 1621 is a momentous year. In the East, a big cradle, literally a giant's cradle. So a boat that holds the baby of a giant. Where the giant, the Nadal giant, is approximately 120 meters tall, flows down the Solar Fell, which is the river to the east of Prax, all the way from the mountains in the north where the giants are to the sea. The Lunar Army attempts to seize it, but they were thwarted uh, by various defenders, one of which was a fellow by the name of Argrath. The Orlanthi defenders of Whitewall finally fall after two years of siege. Orlanth and Analda are proclaimed dead, and the Red Emperor, the god incarnate uh, ruler of the Lunar Empire of the North, declares a full year of celebration. We shall see what happens, so go, go ahead and make the general event roll. All right. So, which 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 one do you happen to take part in?
0: The Great Winter, it seems.
3: Okay. So, with the slaughter of the remaining direct descendant line of both Orlanth and so the the ruler of the Middle Air, the the god who's been uh, who's one of main one of their main jobs is keeping the uh, Great North Wind mm-hmm. at bay and also Analda, the goddess of earth and fertility. The result is basically that there is a complete winterization of the entire area. Nothing grows. Cattle don't don't give birth to calves. There is a constant blizzard. Life is harsh. So this is what you get to roll on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so fun. Okay. So evidently my father starves to death, making sure other people were fed. Indeed.
3: So family is a big thing in your family. So now, now we come back to the, the start to, to you and the year 1622, where basically Fassa Wide Red is retired with honors and yet another new... Young, young up-and-coming general in the Lunar Forces takes over uh, known as Taetius the Bright, becomes Governor-General of Dragon Pass. Tatius the Bright is the head of the uh, Lunar College of Applied Magics. It so happens that King Broyon re-emerges and goes into rebellion. But at the same time, one of the big chaos nests in the area, known as Lance's Footprint, has an outspurting of lots of chaos monstrosities. Mostly in that area, it's what's known as Scorpion Men, which are, if you imagine a centaur, but substitute a horse-sized scorpion body for
0: the horse part. I think I've seen that bad CGI movie. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I've seen that movie.
2: I hope it looks better than the uh, movie.
3: <laughs> They're particularly horrendous things to fight, but fortunately, the Rebel Army manages to partially revive this the, the worship of Allanf and Analda just enough that. The, the Great Wind is reborn and pushes back the Great Winter. Meanwhile, in Nestrolia there's a coup d'etat and other civilized things going on, <laughs> causing uh, political chaos. So each of you, you now get to roll on the 1622 events table at plus
0: five. Fantastic. Let's see what happens to us. That is a 20. Which means I fought in the Battle of Anarok Hills.
3: Ooh, Heather? That is a good place to start. So you're still at plus
0: five. You want me to, to continue then? Yes, we might as well. Yeah, that's fine. Still at plus five. So I, 22 aided King Brian in awakening Orland. Oh.
2: Jesus. Man. Oh. oh.
3: Yeah, definitely hero material here. Yes, this is good. This is good.
0: All right. I will um, take the 5% battle and devotion deity. I can imagine it's going to be Orland.
3: Yep. And then you get...
0: Looks like I gain a D6 percentage reputation.
3: Yes. And you get to roll on the Civil War table as well, but just as flat.
0: I'm going to roll, so 4% reputation. So maybe some people outside that bar know me now. And and then, okay, so, and a roll on the Civil War table as well? Yep, plus five. Uh, yes. Plus five. Okay, so, I evidently fight gloriously protecting Queen Semestina from Red Earth Assassins. Ooh. I'm all over the place. Yeah. All right, so, it's another D6 rep bonus, which is another four. Ooh. Uh, all right. I think that is it for that year. So, Heather, take it away.
1: Oh, I'm supposed to follow up from that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you gotta follow this. That's the way it goes. You gotta follow
1: this. Oh, hey, I get to roll again. Yay. Yay. Okay. Well, let's see uh, if I can follow up on you can that. Do it. You can do it, I believe. So, you. we got a plus five. So, that comes to 12. Uh, so, great winter, year two. Ooh. Oh, yes. let's see. So I'm going to nearly die how? Let's find <laughs> out. Uh,
3: indeed. But you're if you're flat.
1: It's, 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 that's the advantage of like right now, it's like we're not going to die. We can nearly right. die yes. like multiple that. times, yeah. but yeah. there's no way we can yes. die.
0: Let me, let me tell you about the time I almost died. It's,
1: <laughs> it's not quite traveler. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'd we'd all be dead by now if it was Traveler. Okay. Uh, So Great Winter, year two. Uh, Looks like this is just a straightforward roll. Indeed. And that is a four on the die. So I nearly froze to death and roll a D6 because I joined the rebels and was fighting at the Battle of Ark Hills.
2: Nice. Is that where I met you? Okay. Could be.
1: It very cool. Could be. Um, yep. so let's go to the Battle of Orak Hills, the next page. And another plus five. Alright. I mean that's a two plus five, seven. So seven. I survived. I gained battle plus five percent.
0: Nice. Yep.
1: So not as glorious, but that's I lived, neat. I guess.
3: At least part there for part of it.
1: I was. Uh, it looks like that's about as far as she went. She yep. made it through and went. Phew.
2: Okay. All right. Let's see what <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, my character is going to do. Um, great winner, year two. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, at that I also rolled a four, so I almost froze to death. And that's a six, so I flee to Esrolia and I fight in the uh, civil war in Ezrolia. Nice. Oh, so that's where you
3: then meet. Yes, this yeah. Yeah. this makes perfect sense.
2: Okay, we have a consensus. That's 15, so I survived and I take part in the Siege of Noshet in 1623. In the, in the next year. Okay, yeah. nice. So we'll we'll use that as the
3: segue uh, into 1623. So the new Australian queen, uh, Samastina, gains her new ally, King Broyan, and his ragged army of volunteers uh, that arrives and defeats the Graceland horse army that was fighting on behalf of the Lunars, the Feathered Horse Queen having been uh, killed or being killed soon after by her own bodyguards for uh, failing to win a battle. Um, meanwhile, the Lunar army has arrived besieges Isralia, and King Bryon, uh in Notched, which is sort of the uh, Alexandria equivalent, the big civilized capital, on the in the southeastern part of estralia uh, right on the uh, circle c meanwhile going back to the north and up in the area around Tash, a gigantic swarm of trolls trollkin insects and darkness creatures crosses dragon pass uh on route to castle lead which is sort of to the northeast of Sartar. it's if you think of a triangle between the Quivered Mountains in the center of Sartar, Prax, Castle Lead is sort of the top of that triangle. Okay. So we might as well go back to Mike's character and see what they're up to.
0: All right, so that is a normal year. Okay. Uh, well, Heather,
1: let's see do so no that is <laughs> that is a two so yes nice quiet year
3: 1623 is nice and normal so far <laughs> so what does jake have installed for us to make all of this happen because we know that he's at the
2: siege yeah <laughs> so he goes straight to the siege do not pass go uh, <laughs> so i rolled a 25 with my plus 5 Ooh. that means i am blessed by queen Samastina, gain loyalty, Queen Samastina. Uh, add five percent to battle skill. Gain one d six times one hundred lira worth of gifts from the queen, which is three hundred. Nice or, and one d three reputation, which is one. And I'll take part in the Battle of Penel Ford in sixteen twenty four next year.
3: Because you're, 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 yes, you are part of Queen Samastina's honor guard
1: at this point. Mm. Hello, sugar daddy.
3: <laughs> the uh, th- this is probably a good point to quickly discuss the uh, monetary system in the the general Sata Holy Country Lunar region. Mm-hmm. There's essentially three coins. There's a lead coin, sometimes called a clack, sometimes called a bulge. Um, there uh, are there are ten of those to a silver coin. If you're from Sata, you know silver coins as guilders. Uh, if you're from the Lunar Empire, you know them as lunars. So the L in this case happens to be lunars, but it could just as easily have been a capital G mm. for guilders. Okay, a, a, a silver coin is enough to feed one person for a week in your regular sort of farming stead community. hmm To give you an idea of, of value. There is then also a gold coin, uh, also called a sun wheel, or just wheel for short, uh, which is equivalent to 20 silver coins.
0: See, that's what we're going to be looking for.
3: Yeah. So we jump ahead to 1624. And yet again, it's an eventful year. A new planet has appeared in the sky, obviously prophesizing all sorts of things depending on who you are. A superhero known as Harak the Berserker and his wolf pirates, uh, also the white bear of white bear and red moon fame, arrives in the Holy Country, having circumnavigated the world uh, after finishing off rescuing the Cradle back in 1621. They ally with the the good side, by Samastino and Brian, as far as we're concerned, and help rout the Lunar Army. This causes Orland finally to be freed from the underworld, uh, and a new constellation known as Orland's Ring reappears with additional stars and quickly goes to the top of the sky. So Orlanth is not only back, he's back with a vengeance. One of Harek's companions, one Argraf, goes to the borders of Sartar and Prax and summons a uh, Praxian demigod, uh, Jaldan Golden Tooth, proclaiming Argraf as a uh, Praxian uh, demigod in his own right. So he goes off to liberate Pavis with all the Praxians and help kick the Lunars back out of Prax eventually. Mm. Meanwhile, Harak and Brian uh, go off to the southeast to sack and plunder the coast. Particularly, there is a magical city known as the City of Wonders that, uh, well, they're pirates, they like sacking things. So they go down the coast, sacking as they go. Uh, The final part is that for the last 11 years or so, there's been a lunar puppet king in Baldholm, uh, King Temetane. He is assassinated by a group of Humakdi, so followers of the God of Death.
0: Okay, so we should find out what happens to us.
3: Absolutely.
0: All right. right. That's uh, 17. I think I'm going to see Jake at that Battle of (laughs) Penel Ford. We keep running into each other. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm.
3: Might as well see what happens. You're at 10 on this roll. Oh, I like that.
0: I like that a lot. Uh, It can't go over 20, right? Correct. So I fought with great glory. I gained honor and devotion uh, to, is that any deity or just? The deity, of any, any any deity, yeah, uh,
3: or get honor or devotion is a choice oh, in honor this case. or
0: devotion. Okay, so we'll say devotion, I think, and we'll continue with our Orlanth, uh theme. Yep, and then I add ten percent to battle and gain one d six reputation. That is a one, so one reputation. And I get to pick whether I accompanied Arga to Jaldon Goldentooth being summoned or aided Herak the Berserk in sacking the City of Wonders. Mm. You know, I think I'm gonna sack the City of Wonders. Excellent choice. It seems it seems right. Uh, so that table in the Rune Quest book is right below it. Indeed. Uh, it, this looks like it's, it's just a flat roll. Yep. Um, let's see if I get betrayed and robbed by wolf pirates. That is... Evidently, I stole a magic item. Ooh, nice. (laughs) I rolled 3d6 plus 2 on the family heirlooms table on page 83. So we zip down there to 83 really quick and uh, finish this out.
3: Well, you you get to roll it as 3d6 plus 2 because it's a different uh, distribution.
0: I have enough d6s for all of you. All right. So that is three six plus two. Two. Yeah. Okay. So that is a 12. So an awakened small animal, (laughs) such as a cat, lizard, or bird. Very Orlanthe. Yeah. I think, I think bird is what I'd probably choose. So, yeah. And that
3: makes, that actually plays in perfectly where you are geographically. Culturally, for the Orlanthe. Putting uh, a spirit into an awakened animal is a common enough occurrence that there are a few awakened animals in any given clanstead. Mm-hmm. And typically for Olamthe, it tends to be cats because uh, Or Olan- has a great kinship with Yinkin, the, the, the cat spirit. But just to the west of the lands of your clan, is the great sundown temple of the yelmalio worshippers, the guardians of the stead yelmalio was the one member of the sky court mm-hmm. that got stranded on the ground at the start of the lesser darkness and he had to keep guarding the stead and guard the stead no matter what Steadfastly believing that one day Yelm would return and everything would be all right again, mm-hmm. and he was still around come the dawn. So they're basically—you can think of them as Greek hoplites, okay? More or less. they are they are they they are great when they're in units and they'll roll steamroller over just about anything. But they being a being tied to the sky rune use haw- hawks particularly as their spirit animal mm-hmm. so given the geographical closeness it's perfectly reasonable for you to have picked up uh, some manner of spirit bird whether it's uh, you know, something a bit more sparrowy or whether it's a bit more raptory that.
0: probably a bit more a bit more raptory given uh, how I see the character coming together but you know magic comes in many different sizes okay absolutely okay. so what happens to you Heather
1: I'm just hoping not for a normal year <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you I want good. something to happen well I mean no. hey when I can't <laughs> die, I want something to happen. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. Uh, so there's no modifier to this. So please, 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 please. Oh, son of a bitch. It was a normal year. <laughs> it was a nine. Well,
3: so, somebody, ha- somebody has to stay at home and actually make sure that you know the fields are planted and the animals are taken care of and that uh, everybody actually has food on the table and that uh, the the various kids running around don't stab themselves too badly with the sharp swords.
2: okay well I know that I'm fighting in the Battle of Penal Ford. indeed and that would also mean uh, with the 20 or above that I fought with great glory gain honor or devotion add 10 to battle um, 26 reputation that is four. And I think I am going to go with Argrath to seize Jeldon Golden Tooth. Summit. Ooh.
3: That sounds good, uh, which is a straight D20.
2: That is an 18. I pledged undying loyalty to Argrath of the White Bull and to Jeldon Golden to Tooth, and I gain devotion, White Bull, loyalty, White Bull. Ooh. That's 70, and then take, I will take part in the liberation of Pavis in, next year.
3: Ooh, interesting. Interesting.
2: Very. So,
3: so we, we finally get to the current year. So Argrath liberates Pavis and is proclaimed king thereof, and then leads his Praxian allies back to Dragon Pass to try to kick the Lunars out of there, but he's not able to route the uh, the Lunar Magics and gets kicked back to Pavis. Uh, meanwhile, King Brian is killed by Lunar Magics, There's sort of a theme here. (laughs) Basically, the Lunar Empire has, behind the scenes, gathered thousands of magicians, priests, nobles, anybody who's everybody, everybody who's anybody, to consecrate a new temple of the reaching moon in Sata. What this is, there is a magical presence of the extent of the control of the Lunar Empire, which is basically how far the red light from the uh, lunar moon in the sky can reach over the ground on Taylor. And the way that this range is increased is that they build temples to the reaching moon. Hmm. which is a great magical undertaking that basically draws the light of the moon closer to them. This area that's encompassed uh, is known as the glow line because it's a soft reddish glow when viewed from the outside. However, a group of Saturite hero led by Callius Starbrow, well, 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 She's back, invades the ceremony, and summons a true dragon beneath the temple just as it's about to be consecrated. This brown dragon devours the temple and the attendees in minutes. A good 80% of the military and magical might of the Lunar Empire in the provinces disappears in a gulp.
2: Hmm.
0: That's not a problem, right? No. (laughs) No, not at all. Politically,
3: perfectly explainable. So this true dragon rises up into the sky, revealing its impossible size. Several kilometers long. Flies up high in the middle air towards the red moon. Everybody across all of Genetaila gets to witness this. From the east to the west. They saw a dragon-shaped cloud obscure the red moon. For those further out, those closer in, so including yourselves, all are aware that a lot of the ancient draconic powers and thoughts that had been uh, quiescent since the dragon kill and the, the end of the Empire of the Worms, friends, starts to wake up. In the lunar capital, the Red Emperor, the great god, Uh, sacrifices most of his magic and power to drive the dragon back before it brings the moon down. There were some severe scorching and claw marks left on the surface of the moon. The brown true dragon then spirals around the dragon pass, circles Mount Kerofin, which is the Great Earth Mountain it, it's almost a mini-spike. Um, the two mountain ranges that go side-by-side side down either side of Dragon Pass um, top out at maybe... to two and a half thousand meters, six thousand feet. Mount Kerofin is a single spike in the western... in the northwestern part of that range uh, which reaches up to approximately twelve to 15,000 meters. Wow. So 60,000, 70,000 feet. And then, having circled Kerofin, returns down into the hole which it had come from and where the, the new lunar temple once stood. Meanwhile, Kali, having taken care of the lunar problem, marches on Bald Home, uh, proclaims herself Prince of Sata. A small army led by General Faso Wide Red, who wasn't at the uh, the ceremonies because, of course, he'd been replaced uh, by Tatius the Bright, mm-hmm. who very much was in the centre of the ceremonies. Has an indecisive battle uh, with Calius's army, uh, and they retreat after he learns that there is a, an uprising. Uh, back up in Tarsh, where they had come from. Uh, basically, there is a family feud between the Wide Reds and the family of King ferandros um, So when Wide Reds away, ferandros takes the opportunity to go killing various people, and Wide Red has to run back to, to save the family. So there, there's... <laughs> Great political upheaval.
0: <laughs> yes, and I see that there are some events for us to deal with this year. Indeed. Okay. So I don't see any Sardar modifier here, so it's a straight roll. And it is a straight roll. And just to let you know, Heather, it does seem that there aren't any just normal years here. This looks like it's going to be something for everybody. Thank or- Orlanthus. Well, you may, yes. <laughs> Many times. Oh, Interesting. I witnessed the dragon rise Ooh. and I survived. Uh, so I also participate in, in the participate in liberation of Sartar. And
1: you now fear dragons.
0: Uh, it does seem that, and, and with good reason. I right? Mean, uh, that makes sense. with good yeah. reason. You get, yeah, with, with good reason. Okay, so liberation of Sartar, again, a straight roll. That is an 11, so I witnessed Uh, Calier Starbrow, acclaimed as Prince of Sartar in Boltholm. I gain loyalty Sartar and I add 5% to battle. Mm. More battle. We like that. Alright. It's your time to shine, Heather.
1: (laughs) I don't know about that, but as long as it's not a normal year, I'm okay. Two of those in a a row were just a little much. Alright. Let's see. We are going... That is a nat 20. Mm. So I participated in the Liberation of Havas. Ooh. Uh, which looks like that adds a plus five. Excellent. Not a one, not a one. Yep. All right. So 11 on the die. So 16 altogether. Uh, acclaimed Argrath as King of Pavis. I gain loyalty to Argrath. And a 1d3 on my reputation Four. so that's a three. Goodness, quite a bit here. Uh, another ten percent to battle. All right, that's easy. And one D six. Oh, finally some money. Yes.
0: Yes, it does look like you get war booty. Yes. The best kind of booty, the right? Best, well, uh, it, you know, calm down.
1: It, it's it's predictable at least. Uh, so that's four. So four hundred. Uh, now is the L, is that that's. L- lead? That's
3: Luna's, Luna. which is uh, Silver's.
1: Silver's. Okay, so 400 yeah. silver. All right. And I think
2: that bl- is it. I believe that's you, right? Yes. I, think I uh, automatically go to the liberation of Pavis. And that is five. Two, two, the 14. So I fought with great glory, and gained honor. Add 10% to battle and uh, give myself distinctive gar- scar and gain 1d3 reputation.
1: Checks take scars.
2: That's right. You were just on the wrong side
3: of the battle, which meant you weren't <laughs> recognized by Argraph in the battle and therefore don't get a special gift from the booty. No, that's fine. <laughs> so we, we, we've, we, we now have the history. So mm-hmm. the next part of your character is how do you fit in the world i'm taking a slight uh left turn from the order in the rule book just because i think it it flows a bit better so we're going to skip ahead in your characters histories to the day where they undergo their initiation hero quest rituals that is to say that point during the storm season in 1625, so towards the end of the year, when you get to form the bond with one or more gods that in turn will enable you to get the the abilities to shape your interactions with the runes that make up the very... Foundation of Glorantha. The gods, since the Great Compromise at the start of time, 1625 years ago, are of course now remote from the world and can therefore only act through people like you, their worshippers. But as a quid pro quo for that, you give them worship, sucker, and capability of action. They give you the ability to. In some small scale, on the scale of godlihood and heroism, uh, at least, make your own way through the firmament, as it were. So, with that, since I know people aren't necessarily uh, that well au okay fait with the the very broad and varied set of gods that Glorantha has available. What I think I will do is I'll go around the table, see if you can express what kind of primary actions or capabilities or temperament that you would describe your character with. And from there, we can explore down and see what what might, what might suit.
0: I guess the important thing to reiterate here is what we know about Sartarites, which are they're a very passionate people. Um, they get riled up real easy, much mm-hmm. like uh, Orlanth does. Um, that's sort of part of probably the makeup of most of the people of Sartar. So I think for uh, Arianne, uh, my character, I think he is probably, if, if I had an affinity for him, he's pro- he probably most ties close to air. Um, he's probably a man of movement. His history shows that. He's been to all sorts of different battles, running around trying to make this make this country, this nation, this, this world work uh, and fight back against the Lunars.
3: Absolutely. And I, I, I think given his history, Arion does have a lot of typical Orlanthi traits. But I'm, I'm going to throw a few... Questions out there just to make sure that he, we, we, we pick him correctly. Probably the first question is How important is honor to Arian?
0: I would say um, probably fairly high. Um, his grandfather being a priest um, and having that sort of background of direct connection to the gods, understanding um, what they would lay down as both law and what, what is right. Is probably something that he draws a, a fairly direct line from. Um, he's, he's probably tied to that in a lot of ways. Um, and that includes honorable combat and that includes, um, you know, whatever the letter of the quote law would be. He's probably somebody that, someone that follows it and, and helps um, reinforce it, I would imagine, too.
3: Okay. And leading on from that, if he was to rate. Honor versus family, which would score the higher?
0: I think family scores higher.
3: Okay. Yeah, with that, I think Eryon is very likely to come out of his initiation rights, as it were, with the, the, the initiative Orlanth stamp on him. What I was in my mind contrasting it with was with the death, and battle god Humacht. Mm. Uh, so had you said that honor was more important than family, then Humacht might have been the better choice. Um, but family is very important to Orlamth. Um, so he just, just witnessed by the fact that his pantheon is... What, Twenty, thirty days. Large. It's <laughs> right. it's not a small group. So yeah, I think that's that that's that that's good. We ha- we have something to work from from there. I think I'm going to pop over to Jake next, just because I know he mentioned something caught my ears. So I'm interested to hear his his pitch.
2: <laughs> so Ventar, I think, is a uh, he's a he's a hunter. So he spends his time out in the wilderness. Very, uh, he has to be patient, stealthy. spends most of his time alone. He's very honorable. His word is his bond, and I think that's what he uh, focuses on: is his honor.
3: Okay. In which case, there is a particular god in the or he's listed in the 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 Lightbringer Pantheon in the uh, the new books. Uh, called Odela, known as the Bear God. Okay, he's one that tends to concentrate on making sure that the clan has what it needs as far as the the hunter gatherer portion of the lifestyle goes. So he'll quite happily go out for weeks, if not seasons. Um. And hunt down a uh, particular prey. He's contrasted uh, against the other the other option would probably be Yinkin, who's the, the god of cats. Now, to the, the, the Saturites of Dragon Pass, large cats, as we've explored already, are somewhat akin to what the, the role that hunting dogs particularly have in human society. Okay. The, the difference with cats, of course, is that they are, they are more clannish. They are more tribal. And I kind of get the sense that Ventor is more on the individual side of that spectrum. No, no, I, th-
2: I think that's pretty dead on.
3: Goodie. So we have an Orlamphi, we have an Odela and now for (laughs) dianis
1: well considering she had the i guess more boring (laughs) uh the 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 more normal years um compared to the others she's very much of the earth i i she is you know when her mom died it probably affected her very greatly, but you know she had this uh, grandmother who was very strong, uh, very much. You know, she, uh, even though she wasn't the grandmother wasn't at the Battle of Grizzly Peak, but she fought you know in the Holy Country and survived it, and then died gloriously on the you know the at the wall uh, the walls of Boldhome, you know, she, and then losing her mother. She has, I think, she feels like she has this legacy uh, that she has to protect, that she has to carry on, um, because her mom was never able to do that. I see her as a survivor, as a, she, as a, a fighter, but not like outward, so she's not a warrior in the traditional sense she uses her skills and her abilities and any and her experiences to as a sense of, uh, as a source of strength and is able to utilize those in various ways to move forward and uh you know move forward through life in whatever direction that ends up taking her i see her being tied In a lot of ways, to those that she does care about, because she has experienced loss so early. Uh, One of the things that came through was the devotion to a deity. So you know, and and to honor uh, and her hatred of the lunar. So there is all of that. She will fight. God help you if you cross her, (laughs) because she will take you down. It may not be a direct attack. It could be an attack on different fronts uh but when she is when she cares about you and she loves you, she does that, she devotes herself to you
3: interesting the way you've described it, you've hit a couple of keynotes that makes the uh the narrowing of choices remarkably easy almost. The one is erythra, which is the herd mother, so if Dionysus was particularly concerned about the health and the well-being of the clan herds that would be a valid choice there is also of course Analda herself the earth mother what i found interesting in your in your pitch was that you practically quoted Analda word for word at one point <laughs> Analda did in, I <laughs> Analda is married in this particular geography to Orlanth and as any married couple they tend to have their slight differences of opinion so Orlanth will go famously violence is always an option Analda classically responds with but there's always another way
1: that sometimes works better, and then follow it up with the violence. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, I would suggest
3: that uh, Diana is consider going with Alda, as that feels to me the the, the closest match. I concur. <laughs> so, having picked a prime cult, which your first hero quest off screen is your initiation right and this is not only when in the eyes of the your clan the Sephnoring you take the step from being children to being adults with the tying of yourselves to various runes and gaining runic affinities that has a physical effect so one of the effects of the initiation rites or the, the initiation hero quest is that you essentially go through the physical puberty stages all at once.
0: Well, that sounds exciting.
1: That sounds painful. <laughs> it, it, it's
3: certainly um, confusing, <laughs> to be fair, but it is literally a you, you walk into the rite a child. You come out an adult. In every sense of those words. And with that, of course, the next question logically then becomes which runes do you end up with an affinity for? So scrolling back to step three and page 45, this now starts off with you each get to choose three elemental runes. Now, the elemental runes are essentially standalone. So they're the classic Aristotle-type runes mm-hmm. that uh, Earth is through, with, with a few uh, tied in. So, for example, there's the moon rune, which is the element of the lunar goddess, where she sits in the sky.
0: So it looks like these three runes that we pick one of them sort of starts out at the highest affinity, which would be 60%, the second's at 40 and then the third is sort of a tertiary at 20.
3: Yep. The way rune magic works is that through being initiated with a god, you get access to um, various rune spells, from that god in order to cast them you typically need to roll against your runic affinity of a rune associated with that god that also matches the spell so hence why i i think it's, it's better to pick gods first and then runes because you can make them complement each other that makes sense now that's not to say that you couldn't you know Perfectly possible to have an Olamthi with sixty percent moon, forty percent Earth, and twenty percent water, but <laughs> they they would have mechanical difficulties.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, start, starting off with Aerion. So, for his three, I have chosen air, Earth, and water.
3: Air, Earth, and water—that's
0: a—that's a decent mix. Yep. Um, And in that sort of cascading scale. Jake, you're next.
2: I'm going to pick uh, air, darkness, and water.
0: Ooh, nice.
3: That certainly makes a lot of sense for Adela. And Dianis?
1: Dianis is going earth first, Mm -hmm. then air, because I think earth and air together make a tornado. We do. (laughs) (laughs) And third, I'm actually going to go darkness. Because I think from her family history, the loss of her mother very early and the struggle that she probably had probably lends itself to that.
3: Indeed. And just to, uh, it, it makes it makes perfect sense. Darkness, of course, being uh, the element of the underground world. So there, there is a very, it's also a very distinct warm and surrounding safety sort of earth side to darkness the 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 the, the two kind of share a side so that said uh 60 40 20 uh everybody also gets to add 10 percent to their air rune just because you've grown up in sata the land of the middle air right you just have a natural affinity for it. The next thing to move on to are the power and form runes. Now, these come in opposed pairs, uh, much like traits do in Pendragon. So the basic rule is that the affinities for the two runes in an opposed pair at all times add up to 100. What you need to do here is pick two pairs that will be 75-25 either way, and then all the rest are just 50-50 down the line. Just to quickly run through them, um, there's harmony versus disorder. Harmony typically in the being able to talk your way out of a conflict or de-escalate a conflict in some way, shape, or form. It's the major rune of the god of communication, Isseris, um, etc. So disorder, however, is all about putting yourself first, regardless of the strictness of society. It's a very selfish rune, very much distinct, however, from the form rune of chaos. Which is the just innate force that is eating Glorantha from without and within? Sometimes the two are can be confused. There's stasis and movement, which are I think fairly self-explanatory. Truth and illusion. There's fertility and death. Bentar, Jake, how about you?
2: Uh, I have chosen beast and also truth, mm-hmm.
1: and I have. Again, <laughs> I think it falls uh, pretty pretty, pretty much right there. Uh, I have picked Harmony and Fertility.
3: Perfect. Absolutely. That, that, that's sort of the cookie-cutter step.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Next comes the tweaking, where you get to take 50 points and spread them however you want to amongst all the runes including runes that you don't have anything in yet. Whilst people are thinking about that, just describe the, the final form runes of man and beast. It's, an, it's a very interesting post pair because man and beast are not the only form runes that exist. There's also, at least immediately known, runes of dragon, plant, and chaos, I guess additional form runes but they're not part of the opposed pair so it's a interesting question so how are we doing michael
0: uh, i spent my as as any good any good gamer i spent my points immediately and swiftly <laughs> uh, so i've i've upped my air rune by 15 points to 90 um, because i'd like to have a very strong time to air um, and then i've put some points into fire so i now have 25 fire points And then with the the remaining portion, I put uh, an extra five into water to balance my water and fire runes. Perfect.
3: And with an air rune that high, I will just mention that as with any passion that is at eight or above, likewise, a rune that's at eight or above is capable of driving the character as much as the character drives the rune. So it basically gives me the, the universe, the option of saying in this particular situation, I would like you to roll your air
2: rune and act accordingly. That seems fair. So Jake. Okay. I put uh, 10 points in air to bring it to 80, mm-hmm. 20 points in darkness to bring that to 60 and then another 20 back into water. So that's 40.
3: Wonderful.
1: And Heather? Well, I went ahead and raised, um, the fertility and harmony to 80 uh i upped uh my earth 75 air 65 darkness 35 hmm. Just i'm gonna kind of stick with some of the uh the known stuff i think for right now it's just she's feeling really much in that vibe so I'm not going to expand too much. I, want, I kind of want to play her pretty close to, to the, the image, the, the view, of, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no,
3: no, no, I, absolutely. I, for one, love the fact that there's plenty of 80-plus runes out there because that just gives me <laughs> a, a, a wonderful tool to, to add to the tool bag, as it were, of, joy, of uh, helping tell this story. The next step that's coming up is the characteristics roles. The as written is just a straight set of roles against mm-hmm. fixed characteristics. Since people have character concepts, I think maybe rolling three times pick the one you want against the characteristics feels like a way of not getting completely messed up by it. The rogue dies. It's three d six for everything, apart from size and intelligence. Those two are two d six plus six.
0: Okay, I kind of like the idea of, of rolling. Um, you know, let the fates decide. Oh, how I well. mean, how? I'm, I'm
3: certainly not going to stop. A just a straight roll through.
0: Yeah, I um, can't wait for our uh, our ability rolls. That'll be fantastic. So 3d6 and we'll see what we get Yep. for the other two of you. I don't have any personal problem with, you know, however you want to roll them. If you want to roll them straight down the line, that's fine with me. If you want to mix them up, that's fine. As Stefan mentioned, size and intelligence are the only two there, 2d6 plus two. So those are the, the things to keep in mind here. Nice. Okay. That's not bad. And then it does look like yes. here in the in the book they are uh, they discuss on page I um, believe this is fifty-three, there are rune modifiers to certain characteristics. I know we'll get to that. Oh sure. yes. Good catch. Well, I don't have any eighteens.
1: I got one. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> on oh, my int, too.
0: Ooh. She did nice. so.
1: I'm not going to say I'm the brains of the operation, but
0: <laughs> you might be. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you might be. I'm sure we'll find out from uh, Jake what uh, he runed.
3: Having rolled, the 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 as Mike uh, fortunately pointed out because I always forget this step. So thank you. Is the uh, the runic modifiers for characteristics, which basically is based off your elemental runes and Mm -hmm. depends on your primary and your secondary elemental runes gives you a choice. So your primary elemental rune will have a choice of two characteristics. You get to add plus two to that one. And then for your secondary elemental rune, you get to add plus one to a characteristics that corresponds to your secondary elemental Though the one caveat is that charisma is essentially a catch-all. So you can only add one modifier to charisma. You can't add three to charisma, as it were.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. As my uh, primary was air and then my secondary was earth, my my stats, modified stats from top to bottom are now, uh, my strength is 18, my con is a 14. (laughs) I put my highest ability in size, which is 17. My int is fourteen. I have a pow of eleven. My dexterity is fourteen, and my modified charisma, because of my earth rune, is sixteen. Ooh, nice.
3: Yep, yep. That's definitely uh, a no—a noticeable uh (laughs) There's no denying that. How's uh, Ventar looking?
2: Because I have air, I put my two points in strength. Because I have darkness, I put a point uh, into size. So my strength is 12. My con is 13. My size is 14. My int is 13. My pow is 11. My dex is 16. And then my charisma is 8.
3: Ooh. Yep, yep. That that, that sounds a daily to me.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Down the line. That dex is going to come in handy in, in just a second. How about Dianis?
1: So Dianis, uh, with her... Uh, primary rune in Earth is going to get that uh, plus two to her con and a plus one for the for uh, for strength from Air as her secondary. So she is sitting at strength of thirteen, con of fourteen, size of thirteen, an int of eighteen, a pow of ten, a dex of eleven, and a charisma of fifteen.
3: Yes, there is always another way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I will find it. That's Indeed.
3: Right. And I'm sure the rest of the party will come to uh, love or rue that, we, as we will we will, we'll no doubt see. Oh, both. Absolutely both. <laughs> and so from there, and this is now where the, the glory of the Roll20 character sheet comes into play, because there are pages and pages of derived statistics in the rules that follow this uh, with lots of tables to work everything out. I'm just going to cherry pick a few broad categories just to highlight a few things that are important. So starting off with magic points. Magic points are what drive spirit magic, which is the common magic that basically everybody has. It regenerates quite quickly, so you regain a quarter of your total magic points every six hours. In other words, you regain all your magic points in 24 hours. It's just a different way of (laughs) stating the same formula. Yeah, so that starts off equal to your power, typically. Next up are your hit points, which there are essentially two kinds of that you need to be aware of. There is your overall hit point figure. So any wound you take gets deducted against your general hit points. When you reach zero hit points, you are dead. But that's not the only hit point number that is on the, the character sheets or that is in the game because each location also has hit points which are at a rough fraction of your total hit points, so small limbs, arms, wings, that sort of thing tend to have a quarter, larger limbs, legs, tails uh, tend to be a third, your chest tends to have half, uh, your head and abdomen, or equivalents thereof, tend to be kind as large limbs, so are on a third as well. The net result of all of that is that the total hit points of all of your limbs is far larger than your total hit points. If somebody comes up and breaks both your legs and then eviscerates you, even if your chest and head are totally undamaged, you've probably taken enough damage to die.
1: And for reference, for anybody following along in the book, we are on page 54 and 55 right now. So that's where the lovely, lovely tables are.
0: I do like that this sheet, autocalcs, a lot of that is really helpful.
1: Yes.
3: Uh, yes, it is, it's, it's especially for, for starting, for, for people who are new to the game system, it makes life a lot easier. From there, I am going to really just jump over to one more thing, which is Strike Rank. Strike Rank is a particularly runequestrian characteristic in that it determines when you go in a combat sequence. Other games have more random ways of determining order, but RuneQuest is highly deterministic, and it's all about strike rank. So a combat round is 12 seconds and therefore divided into 12 strike ranks. It is exceedingly rare to see anybody actually writing down that one second equals one strike rank, but it just feels like the numbers work that way. And in the starter pack, they even ship a strike rank tracking chart. To, to help. So no matter what you do, whether it's a physical activity, whether it's a spell casting activity, some mix thereof, movement eats up strike ranks. And when you reach 12, you're out to strike ranks for the round, and you either have to roll over for several rounds if you're trying to do something particularly big, or you just have to start again. Strike ranks are very simply a measure of how fast you can do something, how far you can reach, and how far whatever you're using can reach. So at this point, the character will have three strike rank numbers. There is a size strike rank, and the larger you are, the smaller that number is, because the larger you are, the further you can reach In a situation where you're moving against each other, the larger person gets their knuckles into the other guy's forehead faster. (laughs) Having said that, there's then also your dexterity strike rank, which is how fast or how agile you are. If you can move fast and react faster, then you obviously go faster. So high dex gives a smallest dex strike rank. Then you have your base strike rank, which is merely the sum of those two. So overall, between your size and your decks, when is the absolute earliest that you can do something physical? And then there's the third factor is each weapon type has a strike rank associated with it as well. So a a seven-foot, two-handed long spear has a strike rank of zero as a weapon strike rank because you put seven foot of reach on top of anything is probably about as far out <laughs> right as you're going to go. Whereas mm-hmm. your uh, typical hand to hand or foot to hand or what, whatever flavor you want to to use has a strike rank of I believe five, might be four, but I believe five. So typically the weapon strike rank is a naught to five additive. Rune spells all take effect on strike rank one spirit magic depends on how many points and how many magic points you put into it it's the number of magic points minus one is the number of strike ranks that any particular spirit magic spell takes so i think that's really all i wanted to cover from that section which leads into the next portion, which is where we get into the the more nitty gritty of everything else, mm-hmm. which is picking your profession. Your occupation has a, a large number of choices. So, pages sixty four through seventy ish, minus a couple mm-hmm. of pages of artwork. So,
0: I do love the, all of the artwork in the RuneQuest books and. Um, it's the, half the reason why I buy most of them is because the art look is really cool.
3: The, the book is spectacular. And I, I will admit, I, I I am a fan of p- particularly uh, the mythological artwork that's been I mean, come out recently. It's a, it's very different from the classical Floranthin artwork that used to be, but it, it's just gorgeous. So with everything... Before we get into picking professions, however, mm-hmm. I do notice there's one more thing we should do, which is the Homeland Cultural Skill Bonuses off of page 60. At this point, the character sheets will have calculated your various skill group bonuses, such as they are on the skill page. And culturally, there are a few additions to that. So since everybody is, Sartorite, you all get plus five to ride, plus five to dance, plus ten to sing. You all have speak own language at fifty, and you get to add speak other language trade talk. You might have it already, or if basically you add ten percent to whatever's there, if even if there isn't anything. Uh, you have 25% in customs. You get to add 20% to farming and 10% to herding and 15% to spirit combat.
0: And it looks like most of them are
3: on the sheet are right down the left hand side. Uh, yes. Spirit combat, I think, is up in the sort of the middle. Mm-hmm. There is then some cultural weapon proficiency changes. And here I have to warn about the sheet because it might not be completely clear how it does the weapons pieces the place to change these values is on the the combat portion of the skills section so on the top right of the skill sections you have your melee weapons mm-hmm. and that's what we're what we modify so dagger gets plus 10% battle axe plus 10% one-handed spear plus 10% broadsword plus 15% composite bow plus 10% down in the uh, missile weapons in the section below likewise javelin plus 10% and then finally down in the shield section Medium shield plus 15 and large shield plus 10.
0: I'm going to look at my occupation. I have a a feeling I know what it'll be, but...
3: I was going to say, since his father was a priest, he he has the option of choosing the priest package, even though he doesn't qualify as a priest himself. Hmm. I suspect that Ventar is just going to take all out Hunter. Oh, yeah. The interesting one, as it were, is is because there's quite a few choices in that
1: i'll admit i was entertaining kind of playing with the idea of taking noble absolutely
3: absolutely
1: considering uh where she's fallen in terms of her stats and just the general feel of her at this point
3: Did she meet up or do anything in the holy country in the history generation down with Queen Salmisra?
1: No, she acclaimed Agraf as King of Pavis, but she unfortunately did miss the uh, the whole uh, with Queen. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, with her choice, um, with her devotion to deity, uh, her Mm -hmm. honor, um, her plus three uh, to reputation and plus 15 to battle and the loyalty to Argrath, um, almost all of that would feels like it would fall in with that and her stats being, uh, especially her 18 int and her 15 charisma, really feel like they would kind of fall into that whole nobility, you know, diplomacy first and then destroy them after kind of <laughs> uh, uh process that she that that she has in her head
3: yes no problem with that whatsoever that makes perfect sense so that then brings us full circle and we can now fill in the initiation portions on of your skills as it were because that too has one final effect so first of all as part That's one of the results of the initiation ritual. You each get three rune points to start off with over on the magic section on the front. Rune points is what's used to power rune magic, i.e. magic that directly manipulates the runes as granted by the gods. They are regained typically through devotional activity to the god that they are tied to. So. Worship typically at you know, the, the, the bigger the temple, the bigger the, the ceremony, the better. But that might be once in a season kind of event. Sure. They're definitely a pseudo rare resource. So, page 74 ish onwards, in your cult section, you'll have a skills section with skill adds and also a section of cult specific rune spells that are available to you. There is also a set of seven or eight so-called common rune spells that everybody basically has access to, which are of decent utility, but in fairness, the the interesting rune spells fall under the the, the cult-specific stuff. And once that's in place we're basically done with the generation we we have a group ready to uh to experience the wonders of the world
0: <laughs> so i pulled a bit of an audible uh, my grandfather was a priest and so was my father um but i'm gonna say that the local cult um Maybe perhaps someone within the temple themselves thought, given my, um, given that I didn't exactly make up what they felt was the proper fit of a priest, they sent me to more of a a marshaling, a martial area of my uh, growth. And so I took warrior as the occupation um, and specifically the cult of Orlantha uh, adventurous. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's sort of his little sub tie in to go see the world and, um, move about like the wind. I don't think, uh, Aaron wants to be, we'll just say chained to the steps of a church and practice and, um, you know, spread incense around and bless people. He's a little bit more interested in seeing the world.
3: And, and, and certainly what I recall of his history events over the last four or so years tends to bear that out. Between uh, uh, the Holy Country and Pavis, uh, you yeah, know, mm-hmm. he's, he's he's been pretty much east to west all over at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, functionally, what I guess, other than the last sort of bits and pieces, what what left it? What less is there to, to do?
3: Character generation. That's basically it. This. Quite a bit of minutiae, the mm-hmm. but as your Glorantha will vary, that amount of minutiae uh, can be tailored. So the as written history, for instance, deliberately tries to place characters near the not at the center of the action, but near the center of the action of the major historical events that occurred during their lifetime Mm -hmm. um but it's perfectly valid to essentially as a generation work to say this group is from a clan that was not so much involved in the the more global politics Mm -hmm. and just Basically, had normal years throughout all of that, or maybe had incursions of raiding lunars just to build up that hatred of lunars. Ah, uh, yes. The thing to remember about all the tables and all the steps in the generation process is that it's a pro forma generation process. It's not the This is what everybody needs to go through.
0: Yeah, I I think there's some benefit, especially for the reason why I wanted us to go through, because it was really our first time building RuneQuest characters. And there were some very important touchstones as we go along in the history and to understand this is is how the world was built uh, in effect from what your grandparents understood. Yes, there are some things here that they learned about that we needed to learn about. Um, Because it's not just another fantasy setting. That's not what this is. Uh, And so I think it was important to ground the experience in it. So um, I think what I'll do then is I will sign off here and we'll see what happens the next time we get together for RuneQuest. So uh, thank you all so much for joining us. So Heather, if you would.
1: Thanks, everybody. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I have never cracked open one of the books, so really going through this, it seems like a lot, but I'm very excited to see where this character might go. Indeed. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate your support.
2: Jake? Bye, everybody. I'm I'm really excited to uh, play this. I'm I'm really stoked for it. Hope to see you in Glorantha.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, of course, if you would and just um, say say goodbye to the, the innumerable amount of teeming fans you have now,
3: <laughs> all number of hands of them in, indeed. No, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to uh, guide you through the uh, short term history of uh, Glorantha, and I am absolutely hoping and looking forward to uh, getting to understand what these proto-heroes have in front of them as they embark upon their Gloranthine adventures?
0: Whatever they have in front of them, it certainly won't be calm or quiet. (laughs) I have a feeling. So uh, thank you all for joining us, and to everyone, have a good day or night, wherever you are. And we'll see you soon.